welcome back to another episode of Opera Omnia. This is season three, episode number six. Slightly delayed um, due to no other reason than myself and my resident co-hosts for this season have been balls deep, as the kids say, and uh, summer series prep for podcasts under the stairs. So all the shows in the collective have kind of dropped back about two weeks in schedule, which we will make up to you, don't worry. Uh, there will be a month possibly next month, where two episodes of Opera Omnia appear in that month to catch us up. So don't worry about that. I know you're stressing. It's cool, baby. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just fine. But just relax and enjoy it. Yeah, just enjoy it. Plus, I also feel that, um, and that's both, that's my resident host, I also feel we have, <laughs> we, we kind of, we were like, this is good. This is the one we're both couldn't wait to talk about because this is likely going to be the one that tops our list at the end and then we've just made people wait for the conversation which seems cruel and unnecessary but also fun at the same time you know people enjoy the anticip <laughs> you son of a bitch, <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I was checking to make sure your audio hadn't dropped um, <laughs> <laughs> nope nope just doing a little rocky horror like I do Duncan yeah it's, but it's the producer in me that's like oh have we lost connection and I was in there checking everything I was two seconds away from getting that mag light and going down to make sure the cables were plugged in um, <laughs> crawling, <laughs> crawling under the house I'm like Duncan you there <laughs> I'll be back in a minute <laughs> it's a rocky horror picture so joke um, yeah. so yeah we've been working our way through the movies of David Fincher on season 3 Bo has been my resident uh, close for this one and we finally made episode number six it was inevitable we would but right from the start right from episode one we kind of both came out put our cards on the table and said listen listeners um our favorite fincher movie is zodiac and we're interested to see if anything on a rewatch dethrones that but you know it's the one and we finally made it here and to be honest like what i've loved about it is the conversation's been really good and positions have changed like you came up a little bit on Fight Club I certainly came up on Panic Room um, on the rewatches uh, Panic we, Room son Panic Room son uh, we both had a surprising amount of time for, for Alien 3 and you know 7 is 7-7 seven, seven, you know what I mean it's currently as it stands just now our front runner um, up into this episode so I, I like that I also like the fact that we explored the game a movie which I think both of us were kind of like, yeah, we haven't really seen it in a while and it'll be interesting to go back and check it out. But we have ended up with the... And I'll, put, I'll be honest here, Zodiac's my most-watched Fincher movie. Um, I don't know how, how you land in that. Is this one you've seen just a few times, but you hold yeah. it in that regard? Or have you seen it more than that? I'm trying to think if I've seen Seven more than I've seen Zodiac, mm. just because it's the more recent film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in the grand scheme of things, I know it's not terribly recent at this point, but um, I don't know. That's real neck and neck. Yeah. And uh, but uh, almost assuredly, I will watch Zodiac far more than I ever watched Seven by the end of my life. Yes. Presuming that is not today. <laughs> What's up, <that> isn't? <laughs> I, knock on wood, Duncan. I was coughing up blood last night. <laughs> That's normal, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I thought so, but people around me seemed rather panicked. <laughs> we all do that, don't we? We just don't talk about that. Um, so... yeah, we all dock holiday into our <laughs> handkerchief. And, I'm right as the mail. 
<laughs> so like I said at the front, this, uh, this episode's slightly delayed, uh, mostly because Summer Series, every year, I don't know why I do this to myself, every year it just becomes bigger and more time consuming, um, but you have two years on that series which requires you to watch 24 movies um, and, and come up with solid arguments as to why you are right and everyone else is wrong, uh, which takes time to do. Uh, you know, I mean, that's not a, that's not a quick job, and, uh, and it happened last year as well. To be fair, uh, that, that some of the Teapots Collective shows just arrived a little bit late. But we are here, and we do have Zodiac. So, kind of before we get into the movie proper, um, I do like to kind of get a little bit of history. We've been doing this in some of the other episodes as well. Just a little bit of history on this movie. Did you see this one in the cinema? Because I went to see it with the wife at the cinema and I remember sitting down and thinking I've heard this movie is long and then it finished and you know it's a long movie but I personally did not feel the length of it at all it was very very much so when you sit down and watch something like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like the time period and the attention to detail and just the story grip you in such a way that you could probably spend several several years of your life there um, and not realise that any time has passed in the real world. Um, what about you? Was this a home view or a cinema view? Uh, this was a home view. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know why I didn't see this in the theatre. I'm trying to remember what was happening when I was, you know, 33 or whatever when it when it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably drunk, Duncan. Um, <laughs> I think doubt drunk. His, history is any judge. Uh, I, yeah, so th- this was a home viewing for me for sure. But it was definitely a love at first sight kind of thing, where by the end of the first scene, I was like, oh, really, David Fincher? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, pretty quickly after the first viewing, I really felt like it was something special. Um, more so than I felt with, like, as much as I enjoy Seven, I really, really enjoy Seven. Um, even at the time, I remember thinking, like, this feels like an evolution of adventures craft mm-hmm. and it feels much more mature in a way that I, I think I was at the time uh, less less angsty than a movie like Fight Club and um, yeah so like once once I had access to it at home uh, I watched it a bunch and uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I, th- I think this was one of these ones that as soon as I purchased it, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, now my like, now my, my movie collection is legit. <laughs> you know, when you put those movies in that you're like, yeah, this is a, this is a grown-ups movie collection now. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I kind of equate this movie a lot of the times to taking a long, hot bath. Mm. Of, like, this is a movie that you just sink into, and the more that you vibe with it, the better a movie it is, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think it's one of those ones that if you go, if you go in expecting your usual serial killer movie, I think you know if you go in expecting a seven, for example, that's the thing that I love about this is that like, this is Fincher returning to the world of serial killers. Um, this time, in the true crime vein, as opposed to the fantastical one from from Seven, but he's returning to that and. Kind of not necessarily reinventing it, but in a lot of respects, setting a 
a benchmark for how these movies should be done and it's very interesting seeing movies like uh, My Friend Dharma that came out a few years ago or that most recent one, the Zac Efron Ted Bundy one, extremely wicked, vile and some shocking. Um, yeah, yeah. When you look at those ones, there is a bit of sheer DNA in the cinematography and the ways those movies are shot that owes a lot to Zodiac. Um, like so that like really does kind of set a this is the template of how you do these movies where you know they are character studies uh, in some respect but they're also about the time period and you to you need to invest your audience in that time period and in that setting so they can understand how these people got away with it for so long because I think as audiences specifically in like 2007 where you know everyone comfortably had the internet maybe not necessarily on their phone at that point we were still in a transitional phase for that but um, everyone had the internet so you know we we just assume that crime gets solved quicker or easier or there's all these forensic things we can do and all the rest I think when you make a movie about a serial killer specifically one from the past you kind of need to like reset the rules like at the start this is a different time these things did not exist you know DNA tracing did not exist in the 70s oh, yeah, that, that idea where you just you you need to get the you need to get the audience in that level so they can appreciate the journey um I think that movie is like really kind of solidified that without necessarily having neon lights above it saying no mobile phones you know <laughs> like no way to test DNA as uh, these things you know that we, we should be re- remembering it just it acclimates you to the uh, the time period like easy it's like you say like it eases you in and you get there and then once you're in there you're with the investigators trying to hunt the killer um, and I think directors have become more conscious of that moving on because the 2000s, the early 2000s are a wash with serial killer document well, not documentary, serial killer movies there was one with Ted Bundy there's an Ed Gein one, there's a John Wayne Gacy one, but they're all like horror movies they're all like horror movie versions of what the serial mm-hmm. killer did um, and what I love about this is you know, we still get to see and what I would class as fairly graphic detail what the killer actually does in this movie, but that's not the purpose of it. The The story is actually about how it gripped, you know, a city, gripped the state, um, and, you know, affected the, the kind of three prominent people involved with the original investigation. Um, so I, 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 I think we get that now more as we look at these movies moving forward than we did before Zodiac existed. Well, it, it it's the shift in perspective away yeah. from, like, even Fincher himself kind of engaged with that silence of the level-like fascination with the serial killer. Yes. And then this movie, and, and the only person I think that's ripped this movie, uh, Zodiac off successfully is Fincher himself <laughs> for Mindhunter. Yes, definitely. But it like the mystery and the serial killer stuff is about 50% of the movie. Yeah. And the, and the rest of the movie is very much about the obsession with finding out the truth of yep. like this. It's a knowable thing, right? Like who, who killed these people is a thing that you can know if you just work hard enough or yeah. that's the perspective of the film. Yes, definitely. And, and I think that's the thing that is carried forward is 
people saw this and were like, oh, right. If if you make the investigators much more a part of the story and not that they weren't in a movie like Seven. Yes. But, you know, the, the thrust of it is the killings and who is doing the killings mm -hmm. versus this, which is, oh, here is the impact of that sort of investigation on the people's lives involved. And, and that to me is so much more interesting. And a few people have, like you said, you know, there, there have been people to imitate this movie and, and the cultural fascination yeah. with serial killers and true crime has only heightened, but I still don't think anyone's done it with this kind of grace i would agree with that i also think in a lot of respects like true crime documentaries like see the netflix stuff that's coming out is all like zodiac <laughs> i think that's yeah. off the back of mindhunter like mindhunter became a surprising success for for once again i don't understand how it became a surprising so it's david fincher <laughs> doing a like, like long-form tv series on you know the birth of uh kind of you know the behavioral science unit in the fbi meeting the you know history's greatest serial killers and um i don't understand how anyone didn't think that was going to become huge but on the flip side if you look from the success of mindhunter like all the true crime documentaries you get now whether it's that one about some son of sam recently the richard ramirez one the ted bundy uh, confession tapes um the the one on henry lee lucas all the all those ones are this kind of style where it really is kind of you are following the invent like specifically that one most recently on the the Richard Ramirez one where you're basically following like one of the police officers through that entire series and, and the impact it has you know he had to send his wife out of state at one point because there was a chance that you know, uh, the Night Stalker had worked out where he lived, and you know all these things. Where you're you're going on that level, and we go we on that side as opposed to the serial killer side. Like that's you know that's the catalyst at the end, and we we track their murders, but we're not glorifying those murders. We're actually looking at the toll that it took on society and the people investigating it. And once again, I chart that back to Zodiac. It feels like there's a cultural shift in the way we approach these things. Um, from 2007 onwards in cinema and TV um, and he's at the forefront of that I think it's like one of those things that when you look back over Fincher's career I think genuinely out with the fact he's a you know meticulous um, incredible auteur and the, the way he delivers movies but I think it's those cultural shifts where whereas he's you know he's He's on the, the, the cusp of breaking the zeitgeist with Seven. He's on the cusp of breaking the, you know, the zeitgeist with um, Fight Club. And here he's back with Zodiac doing exactly the same. Um, these these massive paradigm shifts on how we, we, um, we tackle certain things or view things are all, you know, you can track them back to, you know, his works in or around those time periods, uh, which was incredibly fascinating. So... Uh, yeah, yeah, and we've not even got to talk about the movie yet, but we're already blowing it hard. <laughs> Did you see the HBO documentary on Gold, the Golden State Killer? Uh, I'll be there in the dark. I've still to see it. I've heard it's very good. It it, it is, and it is. Uh, I would say the biggest fault is it almost leans too heavily oh. into that Fincher territory of 
ignoring the killer for the sake of the investigation and the effects of the investigation. Yeah, yeah. Because if you um, do, if you do a deep dive, the the stuff that he made people do is some of the most fucking traumatized. Like Hollywood, if Hollywood do that, did that in a movie, that movie would be censored to fuck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. The GSK is terrifying, and it, and it's great that now we know not only who it was, yep. but you know he's been appropriately punished and whatnot. But mm -hmm. are well, you know. In well, a he's a wait, he's a wait now at the moment, but he's behind bars anyway, so. Right, you know, I mean, he's an he's an old man now, but at the very least, he is going to spend the rest of his life, uh, you know, being punished for for these crimes. But yeah, it it is the most horrific stuff, and they um, the the documentary invests heavily in the story of Michelle McNamara, who was the you know sort of freelance author slash you know uh, amateur sleuth that forced a lot of the investigation um for it didn't necessarily solve the crime on her own or anything like that but definitely was instrumental in like she coined the the name golden state killer yeah. she was the one who who first named him and and started to link a lot of the the crimes together and that kind of thing so um it, yeah it's really interesting but again i don't think that documentary would exist certainly like it is mm -hmm. in a world without zodiac Paul, I think we're I think we're ready. I think we're ready. I think we've is, eased the listeners. Is it time? In. Yeah, I think I think we've eased the listeners in very much like we describe Zodiac eases the viewer in. We're gonna take a short break. You're gonna hear the trailer for Zodiac when we return. You'll find out why me and Bo think this movie is amazing. <laughs> and amazing is an understatement. We think it's fucking amazing. Yeah, a relaxing bath bomb of serial murder <laughs> and obsession. <laughs> I've just got this image of there's a, there's a, a video that goes around with someone they have like a Jaws bath bomb and it's the shark head and they put it in the water and at first it's like all blue fizz not and then it just goes red <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah. that's pretty good that's, that's the one right there right uh, we're going to be right back to discuss Zodiac right after this dear editor this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. Ray Smith, don't you have a cartoon to finish? The Zodiac Killer has come to San Francisco. Another letter. School children make nice targets. He gave himself a name. Greek. Morse code, astrological signs. This guy's used them all. I like killing people because man is the most dangerous animal of all. How does one do that? I like puzzles. I do them a lot. Got any hard suspects? About uh, 90 an hour. I'm up to around 500. You got four crime scenes. Not a single usable print. You can't think of this case in normal police terms. He's breaking the pattern. Lana said you were a cartoonist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing at a gun range? I just want to help. What are you, some kind of boy scout? Eagle scout, actually, first class. Well, I've been thinking. Oh, God, Sam, listen. There's no evidence, Robert. What do you mean there's no evidence? You have him seen with the ciphers, the military blueprints, the bloody knife. All circumstantial. Why do you need to do this? Because nobody else will. Dave, you made a mistake. Get away from the window. Paul, are you okay? No. Why'd you do it? You put your face out there for him to see. 
Hello? Who is this? Zodiac was my job. It's not yours. He's still out there, Dave. Killing is his compulsion. It drives him. It's in his blood. Jeez. What? Squirrels. This is the Zodiac speaking. I have a gun. I can give you a lift to the service station. Do you always go around helping people in the night? I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Are you sure there's nobody else in the house? Welcome back. So you've just had the trailer for Zodiac from 2007. This is directed by David Fincher, based on the book by Robert Graysmith and the screenplay by James Vanderbilt. Uh, the movie itself, what a cast. <laughs> it's a ridiculous cast. Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, Brian Cox, Joe Carroll Lynch. Uh, we have oh, like the, Elias Cotius, who appears again. Donald Logue, uh, John Getz. Uh, Anthony Edwards like it's just a it's a who-who's of uh, lists of people that are amazing uh, Chloe and I can never pronounce her surname is it Savonia? I think it's Savini Savini that sounds better because <laughs> my one sounds like a wine um, I will have the Savonia please uh, the 72 yeah. please I mean Elias Codius I'm a, I'm a Codius head yeah he's and really good <laughs> yeah he's always great in everything he's in and He's a, one of those great character actors that every time he pops up, I, the movie gets like two points better for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. It's like, it's, it's always great. And what I love about this, like, there are very few, there's very few movies where he's like the lead, if you know what I mean? And I think that's the right choice because I don't think I want him in a full lead role. I think I just want him as that bitching appearance in a movie, uh, just keeping things ticking over. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, the, the the list of directors he's worked with is fucking nuts, <laughs> like, yeah. absolutely nuts. Like even down to I'd forgotten all about him in uh, Crash. Like the, oh sure yeah, he's, and he's, he's amazing in that movie. Yeah, it's like drop yeah. dead amazing in that movie. So um, so yeah um, yeah, an amazing list of of talent. Dermot Moroni's in this as well. So. Mm-hmm. Or or uh, who's the other one that is Dermot Mulroney's doppelganger? <laughs> it, it, uh, he's got a similar name as well, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, I'll come back to you. Yeah, keep, keep going. I'll I'll do the the legwork. He'll do, he'll do the, the deep dive. The synopsis for this one is: in the late 1960s, early 1970s, a San Francisco cartoonist becomes an amateur detective obsessed with tracking down the Zodiac Killer an unidentified individual who terrorizes Northern California with a killing spree. Yeah, and that's that right there, ladies and gents, is the synopsis. And I am speaking <laughs> slower here, padding it out for Bo, because yeah. we, we are experts at this. Dermot Mulrooney and Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott! Yeah. This. Those are yes. the two actors. I started typing Dermot Mulroney's name into uh, the Google. Yeah. And even before I had his name completely typed in, I was like, oh, right, Dylan McDermott. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I thought Google remembered this like search that you'd done in the past where you'd been asked the same question. 
Like, Bo does this every yeah. other month. Like, here we go. Yeah, my, when I, anytime I Google anything, the first search result is again, question mark. <laughs> there's only so yes. much, there's only so many times you can watch this hentai porn video, Bo. <laughs> you can't spell. Right. <laughs> Feel yeah, it again, Bo. <laughs> the entire reason I'm learning Japanese is to... <laughs> just get a more accurate naming convention for all the terrible terrible japanese pornography i watch oh yeah well, um, i love that oh, idea. And all that blurred glory <laughs> I, I love the idea of google smut shaming you <laughs> so, like, right again bo again with this video there are other ones Look, out there yes we've got executives to sp to send into space and all on the back of your searches but, but. could you tone it down just a little bit <laughs> Tentacles again, Bo. Yep, that, you, uh, you don't have to be Freud to figure this one out. Kid. Yeah, that scene then old boy has a lot to answer for. It really, really, really does. Uh, uh, I was gonna go uh, Legend of the Overfiend, but all right. Well, everyone goes Legend of the Overfiend, but I was trying to keep it relatively clean as a passing interest. Where you watch something go, oh, <laughs> my as penis, opposed, my oh. penis moved. I must have a thing for this. <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is the thing I didn't know I was turned on by. Yeah. Meanwhile, 15 years later on Pornhub, everything <laughs> is a, a stepsister, stepmother, stepbrother. <laughs> it turns out that the most awful thing in Old Boy yeah. is just what everyone on the internet cranks it to. Literally, yeah. It's, it's interesting how times have changed. <laughs> What about Zodiac again? Like a movie like that could never be made now. Yeah, a movie like that could never be made now because people were whacking it in the cinema. Um, so, yeah, oh, this is right. Somebody bit. would have to come through with a flashlight every fifteen minutes to do a hands check. <laughs> that was a flashlight and not a flashlight. Right. Um, <laughs> to make sure everyone at the end was that. Um, did you hear? I was going to say, did you hear just now? Uh, 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 at the risk of turning this to a sensible filmic conversation. Um, that he's a uh, part time works. Um, if, I'm, if I read this right, he's uh, in talks with A24 for his next movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm yep. like, yes, I, I saw that. Let me have that, please. It, <laughs> what a perfect pairing. A24 seems like a company that's like, you know what? Go do whatever weird shit you want to do. Yeah. And Park Chan Wook is the kind of guy that's like, hey, I've got some weird shit I want to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who was the who was the lead that they were talking about? That's as well? the thing I can't, I can't remember. You're gonna do yeah. the you're gonna do the search on that while I say I, I will also <laughs> I will risk the the uh you know Google Smackdown yeah. I'm gonna get. We, we, we are well, you know what I love about this is we we're now we've become one of those like old married couples where like we finish each other's sentences or no like oh, he's gonna ask he's gonna ask for a cup of tea in five minutes I'll be better go and go make it just now we've become that one in that I know that all I have to do is distract the audience and you go away and check it. Which is what I'm doing right now by comparing us to an old married couple. See how I did that? Uh, well, this is relevant though, Duncan. It's I Robert Downey it. Jr. That's what it was. I knew there was a reason. I knew there was a reason. It's all coming full, full circle, Bo. It's full the circle. circle of life. <laughs> ba -ba 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 and it moves us all. It does. It does move us. Uh, right. Let's let's let's. We're, we're delaying. The audience are frustrated. We're, we're, we're edging them and not in a way that they want um <laughs> so but the a way they deserve if i'm being honest a little bit closer now <laughs> a little bit closer now 
so uh, for for the most part, um, when talking about the 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 kind of the, the plot of this movie, it really is kind of set out there in the synopsis. This synopsis is actually really really good. Um, what we'll do is, as opposed to going beat by beat throughout the movie, because I don't see that as being fruitful a conversation, because there are whole moments of like you're just in that space with someone trying to do something as opposed to you know this is the thing that will crack the case um yeah. I, th- I, th- I feel we're going to jump around a lot and kind of focus on specific sequences but at its core zodiac follows um the investigation from a cartoonist robert graysmith whose book the movie is based on played by jake gyllenhaal who gets involved um with the initial kind of interest in the the Zodiac killings after the first puzzle letter is sent to the San Francisco Chronicle Um, and he being a bit of a a bookworm a bit of a puzzle fiend and former Boy Scout um, he cracks one of the initial um, ciphers and or or certainly is on his way cracking one of the initial ciphers to get him on the interest of Paul Avery, who is like the main guy who does this sort of journalistic work at the Chronicle. So we're following these guys um, and how they essentially insert themselves into the case because the Zodiac has forced journalism and news media into this case, as well as watching the Zodiac killer kill who we suspect the Zodiac killer killed and the subsequent because it's anyone that doesn't know about this one there are many potential deaths linked to the Zodiac killer but there's only a certain amount that have a like relatively high to definite degree of yeah he's the guy that did this he made claims for a lot of things which could later be debunked uh, Mark Ruffalo, uh, who plays Inspector David Tocci, he is someone that comes in. Actually, I, every time I watch this, I always forget that Ruffalo doesn't come until much later on in the movie. Um, like you're a bit into this movie before Ruffalo appears, um, but Ruffalo starts the investigation because a crime happens in his jurisdiction, um, and then we kind of follow essentially these three characters over time, hitting the big kind of watershed marks of the case that happened from the letters coming in the ciphers coming in the interaction with the the, the, the kind of TV personality played by uh, Brian Cox, Melvin Belly, Bellini Bellini, whatever Um, from, from him as well as you know the eventual effects that come from being one in the media light but two being obsessed with something is a great movie on the you know the effects of unhealthy obsession um given to something we see the effects that it has not on your life but those around you that care for you uh and yeah we, we travel we essentially travel over decades doing this um and kind of conclude at a point where it feels kind of natural to conclude now it is worth saying and i I know bo would probably pick this up at some point uh, it is worth saying that this is based on robert graysmith's book robert graysmith has a opinion of who the zodiac killer is it has never been proved that the person that the movie alludes to being the killer 
is actually the killer. There has been plenty of investigations from the police side of things, forensic investigations and whatnot, and there's nothing conclusive there. So some people get confused with this because I've heard people come back when they talk about the Zodiac comes up every now and again um, in your news thread that someone's cracked the Zodiac case. And I always read these comments where people are saying like that, oh, I thought it was that dude from the movie. And I'm like, no, <laughs> he was never convicted. The guy died, uh, but he was never convicted of it and the police don't think he did it either or they don't have the conclusive proof. So just stressing this out, it's still a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About every, uh, yeah, five to ten years, somebody will be on the news being like, my grandfather was the Zodiac. Oh, yeah. Or it's and, Jack the Ripper's the other one. You know, yeah. Like that. yeah, my great-great-grandfather was Jack the Ripper. And you're like, oh. uh, yeah, I'm waiting for the <laughs> Patricia Cordwell book on Zodiac. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Shout out to my body farm, homies. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it, it like this movie is dangerously irresponsible about pointing fingers. Yeah, um, but as, I suppose as at the end of the day, is is based on. I mean, Robert Graysmith's Robert Graysmith's book would not have been the best seller it was if at the end of it he was like, and we still don't know who he is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I think an author at the end of any of these books to an unsolved crime has to lean somewhere because ultimately that's what they're going to be asked at the end. Uh, who do you think did it? Um, the, the the issue that you would have with the movie doing that is the movie all but says he did it. <laughs> like at the very yeah. end. Him. <laughs> yeah, it's very... You know, the implication is certainly... Like, nobody ever says you are the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. But yes, the implication is heavily that at the end of this movie, that Arthur, you know, Al Arthur Allen, Arthur Lee Allen, as played yeah. by John Carroll Lynch, is the killer, according who, by the way, is amazing. He is amazing movie. in this movie. <laughs> there, the the scene we're talking about, like we're jumping way ahead to the end of the movie, but. Um, the scene where J Jake Gyllenhaal, like obviously this movie concludes, if you haven't seen it, by the way, you should, mm -hmm. but it concludes uh, <laughs> with the dangerously irresponsible part where Jake Gyllenhaal goes into Arthur Lee Allen's place of employment yeah. after saying to his wife, like, I just need to look someone in the eye and know for myself, like I have to have the answer for me yeah, uh, as to who committed these crimes. And he goes into this location. He looks Arthur Lee Miller in the eye and and knows, you know, has that, that sense of completion, of satisfaction. But what's so amazing about the scene is, isn't so much that, although that's quite good, it's seeing John Carroll Lynch go from, here is my everyday face where I'm pleasant to everyone, yeah. to who is this guy, to, oh, he knows who I am, yeah. to you know who I am, motherfucker. Yeah. And it's just chilling. It's so good. It's a, it's one of those like acrobatic feats of acting where you're like, I don't know how many takes it took to get you this like chain of emotions that register on your face without being like comical. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, like Fincher is a perfectionist as we know. 
and uh, it, it is perfect. It is one of the best conclusions to a movie I've ever seen. There's there is just something a bit like because like, you get the you get that that sequence with the interview with the survivor. Yeah, you know, at the end as well, and he this is like after this guy has died essentially, um, and he says that yeah, this is him. <laughs> That's the guy that did it to me. Um, I, I as well, and I think that adds to it. You know what I mean? Where there's a it's kind of leaning towards this. Although the movie responsibly in the credits at the end, <laughs> making up for the slight irresponsibility, but gripping viewing um, does stress that you know he died before any of this could be proved. And um, right, and there know. there's like DNA samples that contradict him as the killer and yeah. things like that. So there, right? There's plenty of doubt to go around, but that's also what makes the zodiac case still compelling of course of which course is, we don't know we you know d- like you we, can't say a hundred percent with any degree of certainty and i don't think we yeah. ever will to be fair uh, yeah honestly. i think it's very much yeah it's it's the jack the ripper case in that respect of here is someone who and it and it was modern times relatively mm-hmm. speaking yeah, yeah so it it's our modern version of that jack the ripper of someone who seemed to murder wantonly and brazenly yeah taunted the police had all these secret codes and that kind of thing um where he he you know cat and mouse with the uh, the police as well as the, the the media and and we still don't know like he got away with it it's it's db cooper only violent you yes. know yes um it, it's always going to be part of the consciousness until it's totally answered like it would it will always have a degree of of mystique around these murders because of the the violence of them and and the mystery of it and the like i said all the codes and the i'm gonna kill all these kids on a school bus oh yeah pick the kiddies off Uh, like it's um and and of course the the last i heard about the case and i know we're kind of jumping around but i i feel that's the best way to talk about a movie like this um the last i heard about this was the people that were involved with the kind of dna uh, analysis that essentially from that like things like 23 and me and stuff that caught the the golden state killer mm-hmm. um were leaning there had offered their expertise to the the people still investigating so like Vallejo and stuff that are still investigating the the zodiac killer so uh, you know with the evidence they have there if there is anything where they could do like a familial trace on DNA um they would be able to at least you know, uh, potentially remove suspects from the pool, if not be, you know, like, be able to say, well, it's definitely not him, as opposed to necessarily saying, well, it definitely is him. Um, yeah. Which I, I think in some ways is fascinating. It'll be interesting to see from a, a purely kind of true crime perspective um, how many of these long-term cold cases will be not necessarily solved, but given an injection of new life off the back of the breakthroughs that have been made and, and kind of DNA technology. Um, and, you know, we might get an answer. I don't think we'll ever get a, a satisfactory answer, though. I think at this stage now, the, the likelihood is the Zodiac Killer has passed on. <laughs> like, he's not with us anymore. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and that's not, I just don't, I think one of the long-standing theories was he was probably arrested from for something else. Um, 
and it was never linked back to him. So I, you know, I think if he's been in prison for 30, 40 years, chances are he's dead. Uh, so, you know, it's like, as grim yeah, it, as that sounds, but there's a very good chance that's 50 years actually by this stage, so. You know, I mean, yeah, there's every uh, chance in the world that we'll never know the yeah. true identity of the Zodiac Killer, but, you know, putting aside, you know, the the need for justice for the victim's families, looking at it from a purely cultural point of view mm -hmm. and ignoring the human suffering, um, <laughs> that there, you know, I think cultures kind of need those ghost stories. Yeah. And, and, you know, if we didn't have one for real, we'd just make one up. You know, it's like the same Bloody Mary three times in the mirror and shit like that. Like, we need those kind of specters of of uh, the boogeyman out yeah. there. And the Zodiac recently, Killer. Like, the Slendermans probably the most recent example of that. Yeah, yeah. Great example of it. Of, of yeah, there, we, we like, we like a, a boogeyman. Mm -hmm. And and the Zodiac was a great one because you know he had the hood and the symbol oh, God, and the letters yeah. and all that kind of shit and it and it seemed terrifying you mm -hmm. know at uh at not just at the time but even now like that scene you know to talk about a, a sequence specifically from the movie that kind of captures the terror the park is that what you're on about yeah yeah absolutely it is it is what is that guy doing oh he went behind the tree oh my god he's coming toward us and he's wearing a mask yeah and the moment of the guy saying hey i just have to know was that thing loaded so when people ask me later yeah i can tell them and him showing you know like yeah here it is and then the horror that unfolds with just being stabbed to death in the park. Yeah, not only stabbed to death, but forced to look at the person you love in the eyes and watch them get stabbed first. Yeah. It's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah, it's, fucking horrific. Right. It, I mean, it's just, it, it is a human monster yeah. that does that to someone. It's one of the worst ways you could die. It is... I mean, yeah, it's just terrifying. Every every aspect of it is terrifying. And so the movie does a, a, such a great job of establishing the horror of that, even in that first scene when you see that the first shooting in the car. In the car, yeah. Um, with Hurdy Gurdy Man and so Oh, forth. man. Uh, so <laughs> good. playing it on fucking loop. Oh, uh, uh, it's good. If time yeah. could turn, uh, if I could had the ability to turn back time, that might be my first dance at my wedding. <laughs> Don't think the wife would be happy about that, but fuck it. Um, she's married yeah. now. <laughs> it's too late. It's, it's, it is one of the greatest, speaking of marriages, one of the greatest marriages of music to film Yeah, is Hurdy Gurdy Man and Zodiac. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely perfect both to kind of set the, the time chronologically, but to kind of give you the vibe of this movie, which is this kind of ethereal dreamlike you're never going to be on on solid ground for most of this movie um it, it's just perfect and 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 like i said it, all of that stuff combines to create this villain that you like like robert Gradesmith, like robert downey jr like mark ruffalo's detective you're like i gotta know who this is mm -hmm. you can't let him get away he can't get away with this you know like he's gotta we've got to find justice in some way Mm -hmm. But then you see the characters, uh, especially Graysmith, who, you know, it's kind of his movie. 
um, that he moves from there. There's got to be an answer to this, and I think I can find it. Yeah, you know that I, I I'm smart enough. I'm clued in. I know I've got the right connections here. Um, I'm clever enough. You know, I've got this background in codes and that it goes from, I think I can do this to, I've got to do this. Yeah. Do you think, do you think like, because the the beauty of this movie is like the flaws of the characters. Like that's what I love about it is generally your heroes of the movie investigating the criminals. Um, don't necessarily always have their flaws amplified as much as this movie amplifies them. It's what grounds them and it's what makes them human. Um, but do you how, how much of that? I was going to say naivety, but on some level, it's hubris and ego. Do you think is shared amongst those? Because that seems to be the one thing that links them all to a point until Tochi decides he's spending no more time on the investigation but it, it seems like at one point all three of these guys they're they're only their only thing that links them together they don't have common interests they you know they don't come from the same like class backgrounds or you know like or any of those levels you know I mean, ruffalo's are essentially a family man uh downey jr is an eccentric of the kind of press class um, and and Graysmith is barely holding it together, um, and and a job where I mean I would argue the cartoonist at a newspaper has he like has a lot of pressure on trying to create something witty and funny and clever on a, a kind of daily cycle that sums up a big story for that day. But it's a I mean you see how they treat him <laughs> in the in the Chronicle. But that's the thing that links them all is that each of the three of them kind of feel like they're the guy that's going to solve it. And I think there is, on some level, a degree of naivety. Um, but there's also a degree of like ego that's involved with that. That I'm the guy, you know. I think I think that's that, I think that's the one thing I re- I really like about that is that's the that's the flaw, um, and you see the toll that it takes them. And you know, essentially Avery. At the end, you know, was it like like cirrhosis of the liver or some shit like that? Yeah, he yeah he totally washes out. But he's also the guy that didn't seem like he was at the at the front end of things. Yeah. Does not seem like he really wants to get deeply involved in this. Yeah, you yes. know, he's yes. he he wants to kind of maintain his his lifestyle of I'm gonna I'm gonna be the big shot reporter and. Uh, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna kind of live off my name and and go out and carouse and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's really Graysmith's. Like he gets a, a little bit. It's a little infectious. He gets a little bit of that, and then starts making bad decisions about like, hey, I'm gonna go off on my own and <laughs> meet somebody in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and and in order to get to the bottom of this, because it it. The, the obsession finally finds its way into his life and yeah. it's it, you know it's hard to say exactly why his character becomes so obsessed other than this is what he does for a living and the the killer kind of shows him up yep and and it's more of an ego thing than it is like like uh, Graysmith as a character is in it for the puzzle yes. you know that's he is he he believes that this is just a riddle that needs to be solved 
and he can't get that riddle out of his head until he gets a, a solution. And I think Ruffalo, like like you said, they're all after the same thing for totally different reasons. Mm -hmm. Like Ruffalo's character is a cop. He's a cop to the bone. He thinks that his job is to save the world from these kinds of people. And the fact that he can't and, and seems to be stymied both from, you know, the bureaucracy as well as the the cleverness of the killer that that's what drives him yeah you know? I, I think uh, I, I, there was something that, you know, like, that I, I kind of kind of sprung to my mind on this this viewing there are very few jobs in the world where it's kind of acceptable to leave things unfinished like police like police work you know, like there's an investigation, that investigation goes to a certain point. If there's no new leads or no way to drum it out, then it's essentially parked. And someone might get a chance to look at it later on, but for all intents and purposes, if it's unsolvable, it's unsolvable. And I can't think of many other professions that have that. You know what I mean? And that to yeah. me, there, there has to be a certain disposition that you have to have or personality. You couldn't have like a Robert Graysmith as a police officer. You know what I mean? That, that that personality type would would burn out really, really, really fast in that profession. Like having to put down things and move on to the next the next puzzle, knowing that that previous one hasn't been solved. Um, and I think that's why, to an extent, even though it has an effect on Tochi as a character, there is a certain point where he's like, "Listen, I just need to I need to stop this. I need to move on. I need to do something else. Um, I need to move away from it because." Um, and he has a, I mean. He has a little bit of a run-in um, later on. He like kind of falls uh, a foul of of kind of circumstances as well. He gets his knuckles wrapped, um, but nowhere near necessarily on the same level as it, it does. It like when you see the effect that it has. I think that's what makes Zodiac a compelling movie because on paper yeah. you're kind of rooting for you want to root for the good guys to find the killer. And seeing the toll that it has on them um, is a, a, a fascinating and albeit depressing uh, circumstance because it's this reality. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like in, in the real world, we seldom get the you know the amazing happy ending where everyone rides off into the sun. Um, like Robert Graysmith gets his book out for sure, and it makes some it makes some money, but. You know, how many tarnished relationships did it cost them? You know, the, the relationship not only with his child, but uh, the, the woman that actually did love him, that he squanders and ruins uh, in the pursuit of something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Something that he might or might not have gotten right in the first place. And, yeah. and uh, like, the happy ending of the movie is Anthony Edwards' character who just gets off the carousel. Yes. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, it, it's a really... <laughs> great moment it's the one of the reasons zodiac is as great as it is yeah is that the movie stops to have this moment where you know mark ruffalo's partner is like yeah i'm not gonna be coming in on monday or any day after that yeah yeah and <laughs> you know and 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 even ask him like hey it's okay if I go, right? Like, you don't think there's anything that we're leaving undone. And Mark Ruffalo tells him no, but clearly thinks yeah. you are, you are absolutely walking away from this. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that makes the scene great is not just this conversation that they have, but you see him walk into his apartment building 
and his wife is waiting there for him and just embraces yeah. him. And you understand, like, oh, this was happening. Like, there was bad things going on at home. Yeah. Because of this case. And it was a question of, I'm either going to stay on this case and be on this journey with, with my partner, or I get off and get transferred to some desk job or robbery or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. And and I can keep my marriage and the life that I've I, I really want. Yeah. And and so that's the choice. Like it's it's fun to see in this movie that choice. Yeah. And seeing Ruffalo resent the choice, but also understand it. Well, it's juxtaposed against Gyllenhaal's kind of yeah. like the, the same scenario almost appears there as well, specifically with uh, Melanie. And in the case of that one, he 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 can't like he can't do he can't do that he has to he has to keep going and you see what it, like, I, I say cost but you see what he he potentially misses out on um, which is the stability and what looks like it would be a really good life <laughs> you know yeah for sure no, no bells or whistles or you know book at the end and all the rest are like because I don't know if he's necessarily in it for the fame I think you're right I think he's in it for the puzzle um, but he, he can't do it um, talking about amazing characters in this one, Brian Cox, who he's a fellow Scotsman, like an incredible actor. Anytime Brian Cox shows up in a movie, I, you've got Hannibal Lecter in your movie, I'm on board. You know what I mean? I, I am there, Lecter with a K though, with a K, because um, Michael Mann. Uh, anything, uh-huh. anything you have him show up in your movie, I'm happy. But uh, Melvin, once again, I don't know how you pronounce his surname, Belly. Be- I think it's Belly. Yeah, uh, Melvin Belly um, is a great character. <laughs> He's absolutely, and I think the thing is, there's so much footage of that. Like, if you go back, you can check out the, you know, the the actual Colin and and whatnot. There's so much footage of that that I think he just really captures that role. But there is, he's the celebrity guy that wants to get famous off it. Um, you know, this is another round of fame for him. I'm the man yeah. that can talk him down. Um, he tr- he'll trust me. He's reached out to me. Um, I think that's a great little because obviously it's grounded in reality that that happened. But to to see how big this became because it's the the movie itself, like I said before, touches on these points in history that become important like the letters we talked about or, you know, picking off the kiddies as you get off the school bus the bomb threats all the stuff that Zodiac eventually writes about but it's not just <clears throat> the the terror that it invokes in you know in the city itself but then when you span it out to how the media gets involved with this and it's kind of in part they are at times kind of quasi helping the police but other points are just downright hindering it and being reckless and this is a great example of that um you know like, like melvin belly I, I believe he was a lawyer um and he you know the way he inserts himself into or, or you know, the way he's invited to insert himself in the case but because he's a like a like a, a personality a media personality as well as his profession, he is like, he's like hook, line and sinker into this because this is an opportunity to get his name out there and be, you know, involved with the whole scenario and get another ounce of fame on the top of it because I don't know how much of this he's actually looking as a benevolent service that he's doing as opposed to the, you know, the fame that comes out from the end of it. So I I think it's the lie you tell yourself, right? Is like, 
you know, he's doing it almost like 80% of it is self-promotion. Mm-hmm. But he thinks that the inverse is true, where it's like, okay, well, you know, twenty percent is is me trying to promote myself, but eighty percent is me just wanting to help. Yeah. And I think he's just full of shit. He totally yeah. is. And there's like Brian Cox plays it so well. From the moment you see him, yeah. you're like, this is a smarmy dickhead. <laughs> and he lives in a mansion, and I don't like him. Uh, and it is. I think. I think it works like incredibly well. There are certain moments in the investigation throughout the movie where there are these kind of aha moments where you're like aha <laughs> eureka um the, one of the big ones is that like the the kind of former co-workers of arthur lee allen who talk about the well he had the zodiac watch so that's the theory of where that comes from the fact he out and out says you know, his favourite book is The Most Dangerous Game, which is referenced in the Zodiac letters. And what I love about this is that there's two ways you can look at this, right? The first way you can look at it is, yeah, this guy was the Zodiac killer and clumsily spilled out this information to his colleagues before the, the murders happened. As a, this, If I was going to commit a crime, this is how I would do it. And then there's the other side to look at this that... You know, maybe these conversations didn't happen before the murders. Maybe they happened in or around the time. And maybe someone like Arthur Lee Allen, who's a bit weird, says this because he's identified the most dangerous game and happened to wear a Zodiac watch, which was not a novel way. It was not a, like a rarity of a watch. It was a kind of common makeup watch. Um, but he says this because he's just kind of weird and it kind of makes him feel a bit important and as such when the police show up there's two ways to look at that conversation the first way to look at it is oh yeah, I mean he's fucking with the police he's you know he, like he, he's anticipated that one day this is going to come back to him so he can swap this away and then the other way to look at it is he's fucking with the police but he didn't do the killings as a way to attract attention in there so he can shoot it away with the, oh yeah, oh I know what you're talking, that conversation that I had with my friends when I said this. And I love that about this movie, is that there's two distinct scenarios that play it, but they both play it with exactly the same conversation handled in exactly the same way, for exactly the same reason, which is attention. Um, I think that's great. I, I, I like either way. I've watched the movie both ways, trying to think about right. He is the killer, or he isn't the killer, and this is it plays off. And interestingly, they finish it in exactly the same place. It's a brilliant scene. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, you know the the meaning doesn't change. Yes, you know, like even the moment at the end with Gyllenhaal staring at him mm-hmm. and coming to that conclusion. You can read that as him being like, hey, man, like you may think I'm this killer, but, you know, that's that's you, brother. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And you're never going to pin it on me, you know, because you can't because I didn't do it. You know, you can you can make that argument. Um, I still think the the movie at the end of the day is very, very much. Yeah, the movie is he's the killer. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's. That character, the Brian Cox character, is really fascinating because it's it's sort of a, a hyperinflation of the Downey character to some degree. That's yes. very ego driven, but this is sort of the illogical extension of that, mm-hmm. where he is just you know a billion percent ego as he's on the talk show and 
the way that he talks about it uh with mark ruffalo where he's real he's just very dismissive yeah. of everyone around him <laughs> and doesn't really think anyone's on his level and that kind of thing uh let me ask you this though yeah. uh, what is i know we talked about the the lake scene are you of the same mind though that that as disturbing as that scene is and as critical as it is and terrifying as it is not the scariest scene of the movie for me it isn't either for me um i mean there's it depends where we were going to lean in with the scariest scene there there are i think there's at least two scenes that extract a bit more kind of fear and tension for me uh, one of them is the obvious one in the car um which is yeah, terrifying yeah. but there's another one where um one of our leads is uh, <laughs> duped into um essentially interviewing a guy in his basement Dude, that's a, a, absolutely what I was going to. It's this, terrifying. The Charles Fleischer scene. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, where yeah, where they're in the basement, and he's there because there was an artist who worked at this theater when the most dangerous game was playing, mm -hmm. and the artist signed his name, which came up as a handwriting match to the Zodiac. Yep. <laughs> and so Jake Gyllenhaal goes to the house of a dude that worked with this projectionist or whatever. And is like is basically laying out the case and was like, hey, do you have any of these these posters that he signed? Because I need to match them. And Charles Fleischer, once they're in the basement and the lights are flickering <laughs> and shit, and Charles Fleischer is like, um, oh well, that uh, he didn't do that. Yeah. And Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal insists, like, no, no, the handwriting matched. I know, I know that whoever drew this, I know that they're the killer. So I, I need to get my hands on those to prove it. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. I was the one who drew those posters. It was me. <laughs> oh, dude, it is. It is. And, and immediately Jake Gyllenhaal is like, well, I'll be going there. I got all right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to bounce out of here. I appreciate all your help. Please don't murder me on the way. Out. And it goes to this thing where he's trying to get out of the door yeah. and Charles Fleischer just comes up behind him and flips the, the deadbolt oh, man. to let him out. And it's dude, that sequence is just a nothing but tension. Yeah. It is like filmmaking in the hands of a master mm -hmm. of like, Hey, I'm just going to scare the shit out of the audience for no good reason. Yeah. It's in also, the middle of this movie. It's like, cause it's in, it's in Greece, this book. So this happened. You have to assume. Um, and the fact that someone would just like, because you get people that insert themselves into the case, like in, in murder cases all the time, you know, Jack the Ripper had his fair share of them. Uh, the Yorkshire Ripper had one, which is prominent for anyone that's ever done any sort of research on the Yorkshire Ripper. And there's a great Netflix documentary on that one. But there was someone that sent in a recording to the team, like a, like a, a tape recording, Um basically doing the whole kind of Jack the Ripper, you know, from hell letter, but essentially what they're doing is they um, call themselves the Ripper and go into it, and <laughs> the accent is not from the area the murders were happening, it's a kind of North England and not like a Yorkshire accent, and as a result the police spent a ton of resource um, moving in their investigation to the north of England, um, and it wasn't discovered until obviously when uh, Peter Suff Sutcliffe was apprehended that it wasn't Peter Sutcliffe that did the, you know, the actual recording. But I want to see one of those um, 
it might be a 23andMe or something along those lines, or whoever it was that did it was only caught a couple of years ago. Um, and he was prosecuted <laughs> heavily um, in the UK for doing the prank thing, and it was through boredom. But I, I love the idea this guy just, uh, he, he has it all laid out in front of him, and he's just like, you know, I'm going to fuck with this guy. Um, and that, there's something weirdly sadistic about that, uh, and also terrifyingly funny. And this movie, like, the whole way that scene is set up, as soon as they go into that basement and the lighting is done by the team behind Seven, um, (laughs) you're just like, oh, what the fuck are we doing here? And it just gets progressively weirder and tenser. And he's like, oh, you know, I was the one that did it. And you're like, oh, get out of there. (laughs) On the fucking door. (laughs) (laughs) Charles Flasher has up a hand. Yeah, but that, that scene, that scene is terrifying. The, the, just because, like, I've got, a, I've got a kid. Um, the scene with the mother and the and the baby, and like, oh, oh god, fuck it is. Fincher yeah. for doing this because he he obviously cuts away from the bit where you're like, oh, she's gonna die, she's gonna die, she's gonna die, um, and then we see her later on safe, um, and she's had to get out of the car with the baby and all the rest. But he he pauses on that bit and he doesn't give you the outcome. And if you're not familiar with the case, then then you don't know. But then again, this is, and this, I suppose this is what we're going to link back to here. The, the kind of fascinating thing about the Zodiac Killer, and I, I'm glad they kind of lead into it because I don't think there's a way to tell the story without doing it, is that realistically, the killer himself only had a short period of activity where they can actually say these are definite Zodiac Killer crimes. And then he appears to take credit for a ton of things after always and the way they kind of track it down it's a really interesting part of the investigation they track it down to these letters come in after things have been reported in the paper so the details that he gives away in the early letters are things only the killer would know but later on the crimes that he takes credit for or attributes himself to he doesn't give you any more detail than what was actually put out in the paper so the insinuation being that the killer himself uh, even even if he stopped at a certain point or even if someone else just decided to take up the mantle themselves to send these letters in um, probably didn't do everything that was reported against them which I, I, I find infinitely fascinating because it's how it's how he continues his prominence and his interest from the the public and media sphere on him well beyond what he realistically is actually thought to have done I think that's, I think that's, and that plays a huge, because you get to a certain point in the movie where you realise, well, maybe we've just spent the last 45 minutes of this movie investigating things that this guy didn't actually do. Um, And how frustrating that is to the audience to an extent, albeit fascinating. But imagine if you're one of the three main characters investigating this, and then you find out, actually, there's a very good chance he didn't do any of these. So I've wasted years of my life investigating it. But it's uh, it speaks to again these larger than life egos mm-hmm. of everyone involved and the killer included. Of, yes, like th- there is a reason that he sent this clever little code to the Chronicle mm-hmm. and threatened to murder people unless they printed it. Like whether he would have killed or not, because the the letters went unprinted. You know who's to say? But 
it's very clear that whoever the Zodiac Killer was or whoever was posing as the Zodiac Killer at the very least um, loved, loved being in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like years later when these other letters show up that seem, you know, somewhat authentic, then it's, you know, like, let's say that whoever really did it went to jail. As soon as he got out, he was like, hey, remember me? Yeah. You know, and... (laughs) And, and so that's another reason that, you know, the Zodiac is kind of this mythic uh, character, but also why, you, you know, like a Brian Cox, like that is, that that's a match to his own ego mm-hmm. and, and in, intriguing in that way. And, and why it's so frustrating to like the Mark Ruffalo character, because he's like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to yeah. find out who did it and kind of ignores how essential that is to the Zodiac's personality and who he is. And um, yeah, it like one of my favorite scenes in the movie um, is the one where like after everyone seems to have gone cold on, on finding the Zodiac after he's gone underground for a while, when Graysmith shows up and is asking questions to Ruffalo and Ruffalo finally gives in and is like, look, I can't talk to you about an ongoing case. Like for example, yes, <laughs> I couldn't tell you to go talk to, you know, this detective in, v- in Vallejo yeah. about this and tell him that I was the one who told you not to talk about this, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. And this real, you know, wink and a nod, from Ruffalo of like, yeah, I want to see this solved just as much as anybody. And if you're the knucklehead that does it, great. But, you know, it, and it's also such a fascinating story, speaking of that stuff, about the the breakdown of bureaucracy in the face of something like this. Well, yeah, that's another thing that we need to like kind of stress on, which I think, once again, Zodiac does a really great job of contextualising where we are. Like, no computer system's all linked up to get hits on things, so you could realistically commit a murder in one Tim ship uh, in the state and then drive, like, half an hour across the, you know, the next Tim ship's boundary and commit a crime there, and it wasn't evident the police officers would even talk to each other, even if they were under similar circumstances. They all just had their own kind of fiefdoms and jurisdictions that they themselves um, wanted to solve. So it essentially became an ego and jurisdiction thing that, like, your killers, serial killers in particular, could could be as active as as long as they were, because police departments just didn't talk to each other. There was no combined, like I say, computer... Uh, that that drew all this information out. It just didn't exist. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's shocking to think that we lived at a time where, like you said, you know, you could commit a crime in one town, go a town over, and commit another crime, and it's very likely the two things would never be linked. Yeah, if you were caught for one and arrested and put away, you would only do time for that one crime because it was very unlikely the other one would be pinned on you. Which is, yeah, I mean. Not- and well, you know, we talked a bunch about the Golden State Killer earlier, but that was a, a because the Golden State Killer operated in so many different areas yeah. in California yeah. that a lot of that was never put together. Well, yeah, and also the fact that he he I think he raped more people than he actually murdered. So he, he had he, yeah, you know, he, and that that rapist itself was under a different nickname at the time. It wasn't attributed to a killer. It was a separate thing. It wasn't until... Yeah, there was the East Area Rapist was yes. what he was called. Yes. And the, the 
the something ransacker in another area and unbelievable yeah yeah i mean wasn't renowned like was do up to enough shenanigans mm-hmm. that he was getting famous everywhere he went you know in in terms of being a, a, a problem and mm-hmm. somebody that needed to be caught but you know he had you know depending on the zip code he was known by something else yeah um and and that's again you know one of the things that's interesting about zodiac is it points out those deficiencies at the time and why you know probably today uh if if he were committing these crimes he'd probably be caught fairly quickly well yeah yeah i think there's enough out there uh technologically speaking to track back some way of getting him like there would be there would be something on one of the letters that would track him back even if he wore gloves or whatever like dna analysis is so great now that they would find it what's interesting is like the enduring legacy as well like after we announced that we were going to be doing because once again there's a weird universal thing where like whenever i announce i'm doing anything with bo or me and bo talk about anything instantly within like a week there's some news of something involving that that hits the headlines um, and I suppose the big thing was once we announced you were coming on to do this series um, I think it was the end of last year one of the remaining uh, unsolved ciphers was cracked um, yeah. so they are still like they're, they're, as we're talking about that interest um, of it and you know it's uh, um, I, I believe it was classed as uh, the 408 cipher uh, it was cracked by an Australian who has a like a, a an amazing computer that breaks down codes. Um, and it was yeah, it was cracked in December uh, of 2020 uh, and read. I hope you're having lots of fun trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, but bring which brings up a point about me. Um, I am not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because I have enough sleeves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they have read Paradise, so they are not afraid of death, and I am not afraid because I know my my new life is life will be an easy one in Paradise Death. Uh, I keep spelling Paradise wrong. Um, but yeah, the, the letter basically saying he's not the guy that phones in to speak to Melvin Belly, essentially. Um, yeah. So, and that letter only cracked... <laughs> so like 50 odd 50 years on in the future as a way to once again link back that you know it wasn't actually him that so it just it makes you wonder even where I think that's what Zodiac gets really well as well it, like it sets up all these this could be this is how people were thinking there was a through line there but then it does insert that doubt once you start realising he's claiming for a lot of things and how do we actually know that any of this stuff that we're getting is actually the killer out with receiving a sample of clothing with blood on it from the taxi driver which obviously links back to right this was the taxi driver which also brings up another scene where you're just like oh my good god almighty um the the scene where basically the police officers are told not to let anyone away from the scene in or around the taxi after the driver's killed and the two police officers allow a white man to walk past and they don't stop him because they think they heard black man on the radio. Well, they did. That was the initial report yeah. because that's the initial report of every crime in America. That's, you know what I mean? It's like that way yeah. where you're just hearing it and you're like, oh my fucking God. Um, and, uh, the, and the letter that comes with the, the, the bloody swath, 
the the killer himself says, "Yeah, I'll walk right past your police officers." <laughs> like, right? Yeah, you guys are stupid. You yeah. almost had me. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was there, and I walked right past you. You said nothing. You did nothing. Um, and it's just, I, I think the the thing that we kind of touched on just a little bit, and I want to swing back to two main prominent points before we kind of circle in our conversation here. Uh, one is the soundtrack. The soundtrack to this movie is absolutely bitching, hard to gurdy for the win. Obviously, but just in general, I think the the music chronicles the time frames really, really well. I, I enjoy that uh, about it. The second thing I want to kind of also like speak about uh, with yourself is this is a movie that benefits from like Fincher's use of specifically CGI technology um, and building the skyline of a time period that uh, has long since passed, and he's used this technique. Like specifically more notably now on things like Mindhunter where he's kind of perfecting it in Zodiac it becomes prominent in Mindhunter because most of the skylines you see in Mindhunter are digital he's, you know, I've seen the, the behind the scenes video works of how they show you how it's composited together and built up and it's fast because you would not know for looking at it at all there's no way to tell but it's all in here in Zodiac and it's the, the work in here even looking at it now 14 years removed from the movie's release it's still incredible to look at that you can't see the seams and that to yeah, me is the, yeah. that, that's the genius of his work in CGI and his background um, you know and, and those kind of technologies uh, and use and applicational use in movies is that it's applied the right way it's, it should only ever be used to create things that can't be created Um in a way where it tricks the eye and he does that perfectly in here so those two things circle back for your thoughts one you obviously touched on Hardy Gardy but the soundtrack as a whole kind of amazing even the original score for this movie the old OST is 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 gripping it's like loud it's orchestral it's awesome agreed yeah Yeah. music's fantastic Uh, and and yeah to your point like you can't say enough about the cinematography and the fact that there is such restraint shown with using the CGI and yeah, I mean, it is, you know, Fincher's always good about composition, you know, uh, not just in the shots, but putting together the right, the right song with the right moment, with the right lighting, with the right performance and that kind of thing. And I mean, Zodiac still is just the height of that for Mm me where the music perfectly underscores what's happening in the scene and sometimes propels it uh Mm -hmm. thanks to not just the original score but a lot of the needle drops are just amazing and yeah and like those shots the long shots of like the golden gate and things like that um are you know it like i said it's a movie that you just kind of vibe with and that is all part of that vibe of the the time that it was it was set uh, as well as all the music choices and everything like it is a movie that kind of l- gets lulls you in very quickly and just never stops yeah and I, it's amazing well the, one of the things that i find like kind of links with it as well specifically because of the time period i mean it's a clever choice and i don't know whether or not it's a it's a conscious choice but you've got to think this is fincher so it's a conscious choice um, the the original soundtrack itself, the the old OST, is actually is composed together by it's David Shire, who 
I mean, primarily did most of his, I would say, his seminal work, although his, his body of work is absolutely ridiculous, but most of his seminal work was on 70s thrillers. And of course, the movie itself is set in that time period. He did. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, then. he did also, the, con- the conversation, which we've spoken about before oh, yeah. on Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Uh, but things like the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, uh, All the President's Men, you know, these big, huge, kind of 70s, uh, you know, uh, thrillers. And then we go back to that time period again, and then we have that, you know, can we link back to at that point for, for this sort of movie, which is set in this time frame. I think, you know, personally, that's one of the... It's, it's such a clever choice that it, it feels like it can't be... Because he wasn't very active in the 2000s. Um, you know, he only done one or two. And it, it feels like that's a deliberate... That's a that's a Fincher choice, if ever there was one. Yeah. This is and the, the other, get. I want to get this guy in. The other director you could see doing that is like Tarantino. 100%. You know. 100%. Yeah. It's just, it's, also, David Shire, one of the few hobbits working in Hollywood. <laughs> he's and he's, he's overcome that. <laughs> A lot of the prejudices surrounding life in Hobbiton. <laughs> You're a bad man. You're a bad, bad man for us, though. Um, but it works. <laughs> it works. Like, to me, like I said before, it works so well for me. And it's one of those things that... There's something about Zodiac that, even for its length and all the work that goes into it, that feels just kind of effortless, and that's the that's the stuff that I genuinely get excited about is like about Fincher's work in general. Is I understand how meticulous he is as a filmmaker and how much of a pain is to get what he does, but you never see it on the screen. You know what I mean? You, you like what yeah. you see at the end is this effortless like sprawling story covering many years decades even um handling the complexities of essentially three different kind of at times lead characters um and their investigation you've got like a central lead but um and you go through all this and at the end of it when the movie finishes you kind of just feel like it was like you said before you as the audience slide in gently into and and the, the the movie kind of washes over you and then you're at the credits at the end and to be able to do all that it's wise like he, he's he's up there he's what he's one of the best currently you know working directors uh but has just had that consistent level for so long and then you see it and you you kind of get it if you know what i mean it just kind of to me just makes sense he's he's just on a completely different level to every everything else, the the I jumped on IMDb while I was chatting there, and uh, yeah, if you want to do yourself a little bit of fun, and this is how you know um, Fincher got the right people in, and you should never look past how effortless he makes things look in his movies, but how much work actually goes into his movies. Um, there are almost all the credits for this movie are dominated by the visual effects team. Yeah, like there, yeah. there are there are easily over seventy names of people that work purely on visual effects in a movie which isn't set in the future or a science fiction movie or anything that would require anything else than world building of a time that has passed. Yeah, there are no super soldiers at all in this. You know what I mean? It's and so bizarre as you would just assume like Marvel movie. 
You know what I mean? Marvel movie that's got like 70 plus names on the digital effects. That makes sense. Uh, look at that movie. That's a movie that's predicated on digital effects. Look at it. So it's everywhere. Everything they touch, every character's look, it's all based on that. Um, but no, that is <laughs> some cops trying to find the killer. Uh, you know, yeah. it's just, it's, it's nuts. But that's what I mean about the, all that stuff goes in there. And as the audience, we don't think about it when we watch it, which is the craft of great filmmaking. You know, it exists in yeah. the background, your brain accepts you, you don't question it. So Yeah, it's so it's oh. so so good. I mean it's you know, truly one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. It's yeah, I think like I think if I was if I was asked to curate a list, like no genre or anything, just curate a list of my top ten movies of all time, I think if Zodiac wasn't in that top ten, it'd damn near be it'd be biting at the heels of whatever was at number ten. I think it's like it's that good. It's like it, it's an effortless watch for me, and it's it's a movie that I marvel at every time I watch it because it doesn't. I don't think it makes any mistakes. I don't think it puts a foot wrong anywhere. You know what I mean? There's that bit where I'm like, ah, oh, I would have recast him, or well, that's a bit of dodgy dialogue, or nah, that scene doesn't look all that. It, like it's it's an immaculate movie from a director who like is a kind of obsessed with making things immaculate um, that's his that's his penchant so to yeah. speak um, I wonder he if he's somehow related to the character's uh, obsession in this movie <laughs> I mean you never know there must be a, there must be a point when you're like someone like a Jake Gyllenhaal or Robert Downey Jr going like that is life imitating art here I don't know um, what's that? so this is you right yeah like, this is just you okay take, take 95 um, like because I, I imagine there must have been a conversation like I, I, several conversations with Robert Gray Smith and David Fincher, and I just wonder how that conversation goes. Yeah, yeah, I bet that is a fascinating conversation to have. You know, we were like, you've got two guys that clearly are their brains are wired just a little bit different from the rest of the populace, um, in different mediums, but how how there you know there is a respect and almost like a, a kind of shared weird brain dna there um that they can relate to each other on that level that's fincher probably insisted that they communicate <laughs> only via code <laughs> that they would each have to break in order to you know respond to script notes and whatnot i thought, I thought you were going to say that fincher made them have like 84 takes of their five-hour conversation oh right <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, not happy with the placement of that mug when we were chatting there about the, the ins and outs of your book. So we're just going to start back at the beginning. <laughs> he just shows up like Jigsaw. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hello, Grace Smith. I want to conduct an interview. <laughs> oh, man. Do you have anything else you want to say about, about Zodiac? I think... I think I kinda, Did we do it? Did we capture it? I think Have I kind of love this review. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I think this might be my favourite Opera Omnia review we've done. Um, I don't think we, we didn't go into every nitty gritty detail, but I think if we haven't been able to verbalise and profess our love in the recording of this show for this movie, then I don't think we'll ever will be able to in any medium yeah. that make us happy. So, um, yeah, it's like this to me you see in a second when we ask a question. This, to me, is Fincher's best movie. And it's not just, like, a marginal best movie. This, to me, is where, at this point, I'm like, well, this guy is... He's an auteur. 
You know, like all the other movies, the, there, there's been shades of that. But this is the movie where I'm like, oh, we're, we're dealing with a, like a, a bona fide sort of auteur here. So, yeah. Because um, all the components seem to just become one in this movie. Whereas all the other movies we've talked about, there's various little bits where we're like, yeah, but he was doing a thriller and it kind of has to have that conceit about it. Or, you know, it's aimed at angsty teenagers or the studio was involved. Or, you know, like in the case of Seven, we, we've spoken about it before. Isn't it like mercilessly nihilistic movie? Um, <laughs> like, it's just like, like, like punishingly nihilistic. Um, but then you come to to this movie when you come to Zodiac and you kind of sit there and you go actually there is nothing that I would well, there is nothing in this movie I would change even an iota I think it's a perfect movie yeah I agree I mean it's a once in a career kind of film yeah you know it, it's it, it's like making Citizen Kane <laughs> you know like seriously because after well, that gonna Wells we're, went we're gonna on have, to we're make, gonna be talking about that later on as well so yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, no surprise Fincher was obsessed with Wells. But, yeah. Uh, but, like, Wells went on to make great movies after Citizen Kane. Yeah. The problem was he'd made Citizen yeah, Kane. Yeah, that was the big problem. <laughs> and, and, you know, he had the mistake of doing it first. Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, Fincher had the good sense to, you know, kind of do it mid-career thus far. Mm-hmm. So that it's like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he built up to this and... I don't think he's made anything as good since then. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> but also... But you should totally listen you? to the rest of the season to see if we change our mind. Yeah, that's fair, because we're, the next episode is a movie I was one and done with, so who knows what a, a second viewing will do for that movie. <laughs> but... <laughs> but, it, I mean, in all seriousness, like you can't... You can't expect a director to to be uh, to to produce something that that like you said is a perfect movie. Yeah. Like I'm trying to think like Spielberg is there one movie that's kind of his perfect film? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Jaws. Maybe, you know, and yeah. everything else is kind of chasing that. Mm-hmm. Or you know, like th- there are a number of directors that you can point to, like Coppola with apocalypse now or the godfather depending on where you come down on that yep yep but like okay well he's forever his the rest of his career is chasing that movie yeah and and i think you know it's unfair like we should all just celebrate the fact that fincher still makes great movies don't get me wrong i'm not throwing shade at david fincher i'm saying the fact that he produced a zodiac is way more than you can expect out of any director yeah and it's 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 just one of those cinematic gifts i really think it's one of those movies that if you if you respond to and i i I think it's hard not to i think it's just such a perfect uh, blend of all the things that we've been talking about you know performance and script and music and and cinematography and and mood and tone and all that stuff and in subject matter you know it's such a fascinating subject Mm -hmm. uh i at, at worst i think that you come away from this movie saying oh, that was really good. And at best, you're like us, where you're just like, well, this is just a landmark of cinema. Yeah. (laughs) And how is everyone not uh, equally, like, obsessed with this movie the way that... We are. uh, The characters are obsessed with with the Zodiac himself. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant movie. It, It could only be made by somebody that's a bit of a mad genius. Agreed. 
Agreed, agreed. Now, Bo, you know that at the end I like to ask a question. Uh, it's in the contract. I have to ask a question. You have to answer it as well. Although I think this might be the least surprising result our listeners will have ever heard on any season mm-hmm. of Opera Omnia. Um, so, in the grand scheme of things, up to this movie now, um, are we sticking? Because both of us at the moment are like, seven's the best, seven's the greatest. Um, is Zodiac dethroning it? Is Zodiac the best movie that Fincher has made up until yeah, I, 2007? I, yeah, I hear you. Hey, uh, <laughs> hold on. Sorry, I was still filleting Zodiac. Um <laughs> If you were floating Zodiac's cock, whose cock have I been sucking for the last ever and a half? Oh, that's a scary story. Whose penis <laughs> is this? <laughs> Who's holding my hand? Yeah. Um, <laughs> come home, Duncan. The wall says. Um, yeah, I, I think it's the best movie that Fincher has made thus far that we have discussed. Uh, I, I reserve judgment for later. Like it's been a while since I've seen some of the the movies that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's it, like I said, it's just a brilliant movie. There's very few directors who are capable of making a movie close to this good. And the fact that that Fincher just hits every right note, you know, it's a uh, I mean a real command performance. You you just can't d- debate it with me. Uh, if somebody tells me they don't like Zodiac, I just throw salt at them and <laughs> spit at them. It's because like they're probably cat. possessed or evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just felt like it was a little overlong. I am a, I'm signing me 100%. Um, I, I think it's absolutely incredible. It is certainly at the top of the list as of 2007. Um, I'm also with a statement you said just earlier. Um, the next movie is a movie I was one and done on. And to be honest, it's the only one on the list that I've been like, <sighs> okay, I suppose. And it's mostly because the runtime on it is two hours and 45 minutes, Bo. Um, what? Yeah, it's a two hour and 45 minute movie. I did not recall that. Okay. I'm surprised you can't because I thought it was never going to end. Um, it was weird like, because I felt like I aged quicker watching the movie. Uh, so <laughs> I thought that was the effect. That was the joke. Uh, yeah, we are going to be discussing The Curious Case of Benjamin Button on episode number seven. He made this only one year after The Zodiac. Um, and hopefully through our deep diving and research, we can work out what happened here. <laughs> like, he was just tired. He like just... Well, I'm just wondering if he like had a favor to like, like repay someone. I mean, I know this one won like Oscars, but at the same time, I'm like, eh. I feel like this is the the postcoital bowl of cereal movie after the tantric sex of Zodiac. Mm-hmm. You know, where he's just like, look, I'm just going to kind of feed up for a minute, everybody. This, a lot of the special effects are going to be kind of cool, and everybody loves Brad Pitt. He's going to take his shirt off. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oscar gold. Yeah, because it, it, it was mostly, to be honest, it was mostly in the art and visual effect department, which you would expect. Uh, he didn't. Win, he was nominated for, but didn't win Best Director for this one. And then the Academy was like, have we never given Fincher Best Director? No, we haven't. We should make up with that in his next film, which obviously they they did, I think, didn't they? Social Network got him Best Picture. 
I think that's right. I'll have, we'll have to double check. It, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen that. I'm really excited to watch that again. That, that's a movie that I, I've seen twice. And um, I was higher on the second time that I watched it. First time I watched it, I was like, yeah, this is good. This is good. I, I like it. Um, and then the second time I was watching, I was like, this is kind of great. So I'm wondering if that third time watch is just going to be like, yeah, this is like unabashedly awesome. So The, the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. <laughs> Is Mark Zuckerberg, um, which is the, which I would believe a hundred percent, even though <laughs> right. like age wise it doesn't match. I would still at believe the it. very least the reincarnate reincarnation of the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> yeah. I think we can all agree. <laughs> he just planted the codes in Facebook. Um, right, I, I give this maniacal <laughs> possession a like. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't call in the the call to do with the gas chamber. A thumbs down. Um, <laughs> that's so, right. That's literally what I would do. Uh, I'm but- gonna report this soul. <laughs> Get it kicked off for thirty days. Oh man, yeah. Like Facebook, Facebook just is like Facebook policing and Facebook in general is the most dangerous game. It's not hunting man. Um, it's just being on that fucking shitty service. Um, Bo Ransdell, you've joined yes. me once again to do this. It's been a ton of fun. I knew it would be. I knew it would be. It's lived up to everything I hoped it would be. But people might be thinking to themselves, wait one second, Duncan, I'm digging some Bo right now. Where can I hear him elsewhere? Well, Bo will tell you the myriad of different places that you can check out his sexy voice. Yeah, uh, first of all, you should seek some help. <laughs> Second of all, uh, you can go over to legionpodcasts.com if you've got a fever. <laughs> And this episode won't cure it. Um, I got a fever. <laughs> He's got a podcast. Um, <laughs> I know it's a different. Character. Doesn't matter. Uh, I love it. I love doesn't it. Doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So over at legionpodcast.com, you can hear uh, a show that Duncan is both on and has never heard. Never heard it. Uh, called Duncan and Bo Come Correct, where we have been looking at the <laughs> series Slasher, which continues to pay dividends. <laughs> <laughs> that show is very dumb. It pays dividends and kills brain cells in equal measure. Yeah, but you know, we've got a couple that we can spare still. Oh, yeah. I will get through this season anyway. <laughs> yeah, before we're just eating pudding and pooping our pants. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, over there, you can also find Pick Six Movies, which is a, a show that I do with my friend Chad, uh, where we take six movies built around a common theme. Uh, we just wrapped up season 16. We're about to start our 17th uh, season, which will be called uh, Comic Sans Quality, <laughs> which is all about uh, comic book movies that are terrible. Uh, and we're starting with Howard the Duck. So, Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I love Howard the Duck. Uh, something wrong with you. And... I love that. I'm not having any of this. <laughs> So, uh, as well as Hero Hero Go Show, which is all about Asian horror, uh, you can you can check that out. Recently, uh, dropped an episode on uh, the silent film, A Page of Madness, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, both historically important and a very cool movie. Besides, um, and uh, then there's a bunch of other stuff on Le- Oh, what you watch and I do with Jamie Salmons, uh, which is available on the Legion podcast feed, uh, and a bunch of other shows like uh, Cinema Psyops and Hello, This Is the Doom Show. Uh, which dropped a new episode that I'm about to listen to, and 
um yeah a bunch of other great stuff over there so just subscribe to legion podcast uh go to the go to the website on the front page there's all the subscription buttons whatever podcast method you use there's uh there is definitely a link to the thing that you listen to i can promise you if there's not let me know i'll put it on there um but yeah yeah that's most things i think that sounds good yeah people should do all that stuff that Bo just said we are going to be back I, I'm going to say it's, it'll be within a month because we are going to play catch up on this one mm-hmm. um, to do the Curious Case of Benjamin Button episode number 7 in our look at Fincher but until then listeners please take care of yourselves out there myself and Bo Ransdell will be back to discuss more Fincher next time bye everyone bye <laughs> everyone